Hello and welcome to the iCrack podcast series with your host, Professor Noel Sharkey. In this episode, it's my great pleasure to bring you Nobel Peace Prize winner, Jodie Williams. It's been my good fortune to work closely with Jodie over the last three years. She's a real powerhouse of the campaign. Jodie's been a humanitarian campaigner for most of her adult life. In 1991, she began coordinating the successful campaign to ban landmines and received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1997. But she didn't stop there. In 2004, Jodie took the lead in establishing the Nobel Women's Initiative with other women Nobel Peace Laureates and has been the chairwoman ever since. Their aim is to support and promote the work of women around the world working for peace with justice and equality. One of their signature efforts, which is a really good one, has been the international campaign to stop rape and gender violence in conflict. Now, being a father of five daughters myself, this is something that sends shivers up my spine, boils my blood, and quite honestly makes me feel like resorting to violence, which of course is not a useful thing to do. Like many men, I try to suppress the thoughts because I feel powerless. But Jodie made me realise that just confronting the issue is empowering. So thank you, Jodie, for making such a difference. As a little lighter aside, one thing that Jodie doesn't talk about is that she has twice been recognised as Woman of the Year by Glamour magazine, along with other babes like Hillary Clinton. But let's just leave that one there. (laughs) Jodie is a truly powerful force to have in the campaign to stop killer robots. I'll never forget that moment at the first CCW expert meeting last year when Norway asked the question about why there were no females among the selected experts. Well, the reply came back that they couldn't find any suitable ones. Then Jodie, who was sitting next to me, took the floor in front of the assembled nations to say, Bullshit! And then she gave the room a real dressing down. I will never forget that moment as long as I live. Suffice it to say that this year... We had a very good gender balance among the experts at the meeting. Okay, so let's get back on track here and listen to the interview. I started off by asking Judy how she thought it was going so far. So we're here at the CCW this week, Judy, and I'm wondering how you think it's going so far. Well, I was um, heartened by the opening session yesterday, the first day of this week of informal discussion. There were so many countries that um, were way more progressive, if you will, uh, countries that recognized the need for meaningful human control over any targeting and attack. Um, Countries that stated the need to move beyond these informal um, sessions, because informal sessions at the CCW lead nowhere. Um, And of course, the countries that already are on the same side as the campaign to ban these weapons before they ever get on the battlefield. So it's a good start, you know, but I think the real measure will be how the momentum goes this week and, of course, what they decide this coming November, how they will proceed, if they will proceed. 
and if they proceed with more informal discussions, I will not consider that a success at all. What would you like to see happening? I would like them to form an expert group um, with a mind to working toward a protocol banning these weapons. Do you think that's likely to happen in the next session? Given that there are some states who have said quite straightforwardly that they do not want that, such as the UK, uh, the US, um, and the CCW operates by consensus, which means the lowest common denominator, which means uh, dictatorship by one, right? All of, an entire room can agree with something and one in the room says no and therefore nothing happens. It, I will be shocked. I'd but be happily shocked if it does move in that direction. Um, we'll see. We will certainly be working to up the ante so it costs more to not do it. Uh, the campaign really needs to up its focus on getting individual states to make uh, progressive policy statements, individual states to take unilateral steps which we did with the mind ban movement. And those individual steps were the building blocks that made it possible to have a treaty banning anti-personnel landmines. We need but, to do the same thing with killer robots. But of course you have a great deal of patience because you've been through banning landmines mm -hmm. and it took you a long time. No, no, honestly that one didn't. You know, from the time we launched that campaign in 92 until we had a treaty in 97, it took five years. And if you think about the glacial movement of normal diplomacy and creating, you know, international treaties, whew, we were, you know, lightning speed. We'd like to see the same thing here. When you compare the two, the way things are going, do you think we're going at the same pace? Do you think we can still achieve in that time frame? We could. Of course we could. Um, Killer robots are not inevitable, despite what they keep pounding into our heads. That is a, a maneuver to disempower. It's a maneuver to make people feel impotent and like, why bother if something's in, you know, inevitable? We are human beings. We have the choice to determine our own future. And clearly those of us in the campaign to stop killer robots and some of the countries here are going to fight to create a future free of killer robots. Anything is possible. And what do you think is the worst case you've heard in defense of killer robots? Well, uh, I find the hypotheticals rather disturbing. You know, when countries set up all of these bizarre hypotheticals, you know, what if maybe at some point a weapons system could be created that, you know, is perfect and never kills a, a, a human being, wouldn't they be acceptable then? Well, you know, if Mars were the perfect world, I'd move there. <laughs> it's about that logical. We're talking about the real world, what happens in the real world, and the pretense that any weapon systems are developed with protecting civil society, civilians, in mind is pure bunk. And when they drag that out as some sort of justification for why they are doing this, it's insulting. 
Thank you very much, Julie. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. It really was a pleasure. I think, you know, what you heard there really highlights why this campaign is so important to the future, to the non-violent future of humanity. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Nihal Bhutta, the well-known professor of international law at the European University Institute. We get down to talking about the complex relationship between international humanitarian law and weapons reviews. That's the process to determine whether or not a weapon can comply with the laws of war. And then we talked about meaningful human control and how that fits with the law and really what it would mean for future autonomous weapon systems. So until then, goodbye for now. I'll be speaking to you soon and I hope you'll be listening.